It's the Taking It On with Paula Price podcast with your host, Paula Price, taking on the issues, representing Jesus Christ, unapologetically truthful, taking on popular opinion, and now your host, Paula Price. So you've often heard me say, your talents can take you where your soul can't keep you. What does that mean? When the pressures come on you, when the weightiness of decisions, when long hours want to push against your body, is your health up to it? When difficult people and competitors and rivals want to eliminate you from the process, eliminate you from the prospects, when that happens, What will your soul do? How will it behave? Will it draw in like a turtle? Will it blow up like a flame? Will it go hard as granite so nothing ever gets in? Will it become sullen and moody and every time you turn around you're brooding and you're whatever because that's the only way your soul knows how to mend itself or at least contend with its discomforts? Because your soul must do something with everything that happens to you in life. There are things that it does overtly, and then there are things that it does covertly. So you have got to get to a place where you begin to recognize when your soul has taken control of a circumstance that will destroy your life. And will your soul's control over that circumstance resolve it? or destroy it. Many of you know the, the thing you just had to say. You had to speak out of your mouth. I just, I'm sorry, you had to be heard even if it cost you your livelihood. That's a soul out of control. That's a soul program for self-sabotage. Did you hear that? So do you have a sabotaging soul? Does your soul's answer to everything end up being sabotage, cut you off, curt, you're so curt, you become unpleasant, you become unruly, nobody can tell you, and you also become paranoia, you start seeing what isn't there, hearing what isn't said, and, and really blaming things on people that they haven't done. Your soul will do to you things that are damaging, and you will blame it on others because your soul is doing it and has been able to get away with it for a lot of years. So do you have the soul for the success you seek, the success you desire? And within that soul, there's a host of things that, that we have to make decisions on. All of us, we have to do it. Because your soul will always cast the deciding vote for the outcome that you say makes you feel the best. I will say that your soul will always cast the deciding vote for the outcome that you say makes you feel the best. For example, your soul, for you, you feel good after you tell people off. That's literally, that's a solution, but that's a reward. That's a treatment. I Listen, I got it off my chest. So your soul will keep doing that. It will do it indiscriminately because it will do it autonomically. 
It will just do it because that's a normal consequence of being challenged, feeling indignant, feeling like somebody's not going to get over on you, defending yourself from a pain that you can't get rid of anyway. Because, see, a lot of us, you have literally, it's kind of like an, a, a condition. You have conditional soul aches, soul pains. It's a condition you're, you, you, every day. And you don't realize it until you get real, real quiet and realize you can't be quiet. Your soul never shuts up. It's never, un, it's never at peace. It never can get into full happiness mode, full content mode, full security mode, because it's always working in the background like that, uh, uh, that operating system that keeps you on guard for when your control is threatened. And it's always doing it. So you know it. Like when great things happen, everybody's yay, yay, yay. But you can't do yay. Because your operating system won't let you. Because it's trying to be predictive. And it's preparing for what it's predicting. Because you have already told it inevitably, good gives way to bad. And bad is always with you. So it's always, so people are celebrating, and, and, and here's another thing, you get addicted to the, the pity attention. You like that pity attention, you know? And so you get addicted to that, and, and people are having a great time, but you, you are sitting there unhappy off to the corner. You can't talk, you can't socialize, you can't relate, because you need to send out that magnet for pity. You can't engage because you live for these words to be said to begin the machine, the mechanism that reinforces your own sorrow. And this is the word, three little words. What's the matter? Those are your attention words. You need people to constantly ask you what's the matter so you can do that Feigned denial. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. I'm good. Your face is down here. Your eyes look like you have just lost your best friend and $2 million. You never smile. You're never engaged. People always have to bring you back to the present because your soul is always nursing and incubating your past. And in that role, it's always judging and criticizing and condemning. Judging, criticizing, and condemning. And that has to do with so many things that we'll walk through as we go continue into this series. But you need to understand that your soul is the mechanism of all of your emotional output, your psychological output, your desires, your appetites, your angst, your angers. Your soul is constantly handling that. And you are giving it permission to take the lead because you yourself don't want to be emotionally honest. Emotional dishonesty 
is this. What's the matter? Nothing. So your soul is programmed to being dishonest about what's going on inside it. What has caused your depression? What has caused your dissatisfaction? Why you're disappointed? Why you're hiding it? And you're hiding it simply because you have not grown up. Kids hide, adults confront. So this is a, literally a child-rearing, nurtured habit, emotional habit. So you don't think about You think about your physical habits. You don't think about your emotional habits that you habitually make people feel uncomfortable in your presence. And you deny an emotional state that is literally infecting the atmosphere. And you deny it because as a kid, who cares? But you have not let the little kid go. And in the same way the little kid throws tantrums, you still do it as an adult. You just do it non-verbally. So the little kid goes in a room, puts their face in a pillow, and bangs and screams. You put your face in a pillow so nobody hears you because you don't want to get your butt whooped. <laughs> See, it's your little child. You never grew up, and you keep calling it something else because the, fear is, the feelings and the incidents and the experiences are in the present. But the control mechanism is still in the past, which is why you get mad over this and you get mad over nothing and you're offended over this and you're offended over that and no one can talk to you and no one can correct you and no one could even ask you what's wrong because you want to bring them into this theatrical drama of I'm okay, I'm fine, I just don't feel like talking. No, because I'm using this emotion to punish you or to attract attention that I can literally punish with denial. And so, by the time the party's over, 15 people have fed your child. What's the matter? Nothing. Well, you don't look like you're enjoying yourself. I'm okay. Denial, that's emotional dishonesty. Because if you felt so bad, you should have stayed home, but you didn't stay home because you need somebody to feed that. You need somebody to feed it. And it happens all the time. You're standing there, so what's, what's the matter? You haven't smiled. Why haven't you smiled? Aren't you having a good time? Don't you like the hors d'oeuvres? Don't you like the food? You don't like it? You don't know whether you like it or not? But it's not, you're not acting as if it's fine. You act as if this is the saddest place. Did you have a bad day? Well, why can't you join the festivities? I mean, you're not talking to anyone. You're sitting over in the corner. Why are you, why are you by yourself? But you're in a corner. No one's here with you. Everybody's over there. You're not, you're, you're not even playing the games. You don't want to play the games. No, I'm okay where I'm at. I'm okay. I'm okay where I am. But, that's, but we don't know where you are. I'm here, but are you here? You know, 
And if you have coworkers, they're going to try to ask mm -hmm. what's going on. And you're like, and then eventually this is what will happen. When you do that one time too many, the people who know you become disgusted. Well. And then they begin to shrug you off. So when you have a real thing, nobody believes it's real. Because, and this is what they'll say, oh, that's just so-and-so. They always say, no, don't even pay it any attention. Listen, don't even give it any attention. And they start instructing people on how to ignore and dismiss you. And the next thing you know, you have a real crisis and calamity and nobody cares. Nobody. Because you, your emotional habits have so dis disappointed people and so jaded them about your makeup that they don't care whether good or bad happens to you. Because you've used your emotions as a cudgel, as a weapon, as a punisher. But you've also used it as an emotional panderer. Pandering for emotions or pandering for attention and responses that feed that thing. And sometimes you wake up and you're like, well, that's not me all the time. But there are certain situations, lack, embarrassment, desire, fantasy. Those are all things that when they cross this emotional barrier, this emotional brigade of yours, they start that thing in motion. They wake up that kid. They wake up the disappointment. They wake up the resentment. They wake up the anger. They wake up the disturbance. They wake up the tantrums. They wake up the selfishness. They wake up the demands. And so that kid couldn't voice it for numerous reasons, either because they did not have the language to articulate it or they were in environments where they were to be seen and not heard or perhaps they were just raised to stay in a kid's place or by parents who were indifferent to them. Whatever the reason, and they are numerous because we are fearfully and wonderfully made, it doesn't take much more than a pin drop for that kid to wake up. It's like putting a fussy baby to sleep. And, you are, and so to be in relationship with these people is to walk around on eggshells and tiptoe all the time because you don't know who you're going to meet. Who showed up for work this morning? We don't know. We don't know who's going to show up for work. We don't know who's going to come out at the next call. We don't know because there is no cohesion in that soul. It is fractured, it is fragmented, and in the soul, this, this particular adage still applies, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So whatever the squeaky wheel is, that's who the soul will show. So I'll wake up this kid, or I'll wake up this cry. All of us have babies, have had babies or heard babies that cry, and you knew they weren't really crying. You knew there was no sorrow or suffering or anything to it. But the, the child just whined. Some people are, do this because their parents literally raised them to think whining is an acceptable form of communication and displeasure. So these are whiny adults. They whine about everything. You know, don't they? The whiny adult. 
But these are all, your soul is the one thing that is uniquely you. It comes into the world with you. It is the reason that you are in the world, that you remain in the world. And it is the one thing that you get to program or manage all your days. The problem is parents do not develop their children's soul. Parents feel like the soul has this free pass and that it is nothing but a, a, a literal mat, massive sponge to take in what it wants to take in. Now, they'll control your behavior if you embarrass them. But most times, you'll hear them say, yeah, well, that's just her way. Yeah, well, his way. Well, he gets mad about that. Yeah, well, they just don't. You literally give the soul the permission to be unruly. And in a kid, people think, isn't that cute? At 16, you're a mean girl. You're a bully. And at 21, you're a misfit. You see how that happened? And so not, not teaching your children how to handle their emotions, which is probably the largest part of their life. You know, there is this, this, this argument as to whether people think more than they feel or feel more than they think in a, in a, a given day. I would have to say that if the emotions were first, I would have to say that they feel more than they think because the thoughts or the brain needs the emotions, information for the body to behave a certain way. So you're, you're talking about raising up these people that say, well, I just never tell my people no. But life tells your kid no, which is why they're killing themselves because life is saying no. You may have the money to buy yes anywhere you want. But life is saying no. And life will say no. And it will say no through destructions and destructive behaviors. It will say no through introverted conduct. It will say no through people rejecting your kid. It will say no with, with people forming opinions and doing everything they can to insinuate their contempt for what you have paid to say yes to. And you might say, but I don't care. We have all the money in the world. Yeah, until your kid is on a, on a roof ready to jump off. All of a sudden, your money can't buy that. Or your kid is caught up in some sort of criminal activity or in the relationship with someone who is abusive because usually children who get too many yeses will get married or get in relationship with people who like to beat the yes out of them. You may be that with your mother, your father, you may be, but I, and they, and they prove that the emotions rule even the dollar. So you, as we go forward, what you are today is literally what you chose to be. Now, I know that many of you want to blame mom and dad, but as uh, Prophet Ma and Chief Tala and I keep saying, you've been your parent a long time. You don't seem to have done as well as the other people. You've been your parent for 20 years, 30, 40 years. You have been raising and rearing you. You've been your own nurture, your own conduct, your own decisions all those years. Isn't that interesting? And yet you still blame your mama for behavior and conduct that has been in your control for decades. Emotional dishonesty. Isn't that a powerful term? Because we, people are often emotionally dishonest because they really don't want the rawness that they feel 
or the irrationality that characterizes them publicized. So we choose denial. We choose resentment. So, and we're taught to because we're in a world and we're made of a genetic uh, material that tells us the lie is more palatable, more appreciated than the truth. Do you like this dress? No. Now, emotional honesty is a very strange thing because it can also turn brutal. Okay? Because it literally can be a, a, a rod or a staff or a weapon in a club. In other words, if Satan can't stop people from being honest, and if your emotional self cannot totally given to honesty, then you call meanness and cruelness and insults being honest. Well, listen, I'm just speaking my mind. First of all, I don't know if you have enough sense up there to speak what should be. (laughs) That's my thought. That's just, I'm wondering. But there are other things, other factors that become important. Critical thinking. Thinking before you speak. You know? And then rationalizing before you react restraining yourself until you have all of the facts. See, those are where we go when in the next place. So I'm, I'm going to cover a little bit of this. I wanted you to know that, but I needed you to recognize people get sick because of emotional dishonesty, emotional lies. The soul relies on truth. Truth serum. The soul is really about truth. And so when you take and turn truth into a lie, and, it be, and that lie becomes your truth, your, the, the, the disparity between the two. There's always an inner tussle because the soul is so smart. And they, I mean, they have proved this scientifically. The soul is so smart, it knows the truth. That's why when you stand before God, you can't lie. Because the soul is like, but this is my maker. I, I, you know. And not to mention, you get in God's presence, this man radiates this magnetism that says, tell the truth. You don't even have to plan to. A couple of times I was in prayer, just enjoying the presence of God. And he, you know, God likes to get you when you're all relaxed and whatnot. I said, sweetheart, I'm going to need to do this elsewhere. So I'm in, in the prayer and he'll ask me a question. Now, he'll ask me a question, A, that he already knows the answer. But he catches me so off guard that when he asks me the question, my heart tells him the truth, and then my mind remembers I should lie. <laughs> my heart says, Lord, and then after that, my mind will say, you don't want to say that to God. That's not what you ought to say. You need to find something else. You could have said it better. He's going to be mad at you. Look at you. You're hurting his feelings. My, we go, and all of that happens in lightning seconds, which is why your soul can stack and stock lies and deceptions all the time. Because defensiveness, you are even defending yourself from God's disapproval. From God's offense, because you feel like God's disapproval is going to be judgment, and judgment is going to be hurtful, and something you want is not going to happen. See, we go all the way down that line. (laughs) We just go all the way down to the end. So it's easy to say, I'm fine, Lord. Some of you all can't get a breakthrough in God because you're not emotionally honest, and you treat him as if he's ignorant. 
Because God already knows. He's like, the, he is the maker of the lawyer that knows the questions and their answers before they ask the questions. God does not ask you a question because he doesn't know. He asks you a question so you can come to know. Because he knows you're hiding this under layers and layers of defenses and protections and shelters and shields that's going to take him a lot of years to get rid of. And there are some of your blessings are tied to that truth. We always think judgment is tied to truth, but blessings are tied to truth. For example, you keep telling God, I don't care that I live here. Well, that's not true. You do care. Because when you're, when, you, when you're not in God's presence, you fuss about everything. The crack in the wall, the tilted floor, the people that's too noisy, the fact that you can't get apart. I mean, you got everything out there. There's a whole grocery list. You've just never put them together. And so God is like, do you want a new place? No, Lord, because, you know, I can't afford it. I mean, this is okay. I don't mind. So I had to learn that. So God said, I asked God one time. I will never forget. I said, God, why don't I ever have big numbers? He said, because you keep telling me the small ones are fine. I said, huh? See, we've been coy. We're trying to be flattering. God hates flattery. And so we're flattering him by pretending we're really super content with what's going on when in fact we're not and we're blaming him for it. So he asked me one time about something. He said, well, you know, you, you want so-and-so and so-and-so? Listen, Jesus, I'm going to live with that, but let me tell you what I want. And I'm honest. Now, I, you, he's not going to deal with you asking a miss. My friend's got it, so I should have it. You know, he's not interested in that. But I tell him honestly, no, I'm in the house I'm in right now because I told him I didn't like all of those other ones. Like he didn't know I didn't like them. I was not informing him. You know, I was actually being honest, creating a platform for my faith to move into his solution. When you deny, you can't have faith because denial is rooted in fear. And fear hath torment. So God and I, we have a whole, over the last several years, at least the last eight or nine, we've come into a whole different place. And he tells me, I don't like lies. So all of those denial, I didn't do that, I didn't mean that, that's not what I mean, you misunderstood me. That's Satan talk. Devil talk is all about denial. It's all about lying. God talk is all about truth. God, I'm sorry I feel this way, but I'm stuck. So if you can help me, I'll be really happy. I'm honest with them. I'm like, God, I am so hot now. I don't, oh, holy ghost. I don't even, Jesus, help me, God almighty, Lord. I am ticked, Jesus, ticked off. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm going to have to repent for this tomorrow. As soon as I get a good night's sleep, I'm going to wake up, repentance. It's going to be great, Jesus. But right now, I am disturbed. I don't even know how to ask you to fix it because I'm too busy feeling the mad. I can't even figure out what to ask like Jesus. I have to go right up to the door. Get them, God. Sick them. <laughs> and so we're honest. I'm like, God, I didn't like it and whatever. And sometimes that's when he goes into psychologist mode. He says, so what didn't you like about it? I don't want to think about that right now, Jesus. I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling my way through this. I'm feeling it. No, 
What didn't you like about it? Well, Lord, to be honest with you, I didn't like this, 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 or this. And then he would ask me, why not? Because I didn't feel good. So why are your feelings formed that way? Why, are you, why do your feelings funnel this reaction to such incidents? I'm like, so I, you, can t- you can figure out I don't get mad a lot no more. Because I'm thinking this is going to be an all-night thing. I don't want an all-nighter with the Holy Ghost. And so he would ask me, and I had to answer him. And if I didn't answer him, he wouldn't stop for weeks or months. If it took me a year, he was at it a year. Because remember, he never dies. He don't get to sleep. He don't need a nap. He got plenty enough time. (laughs) I mean, God don't even get a snooze. And so we would talk about it. And then he would ask me the questions that would help me make sense of it all. But Paula, why is it that you and your sentiments chose this response to this issue? And I would say, because it reminds me. It always comes down to that. It reminds me of. It made me feel like when. Okay, so now we realize If we're walking in this path of emotional honesty, we are not going to blame this present situation for your extreme response. I said, but God, but they did it. Yeah, they do. And that's when he told me, woe to the world. He said, woe to the earth, because wait a minute, offenses are going to come. Your job is to see how you manage the offenses that are going to come no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what the reason, because in the end, your control is in your soul. Thank you for listening to this segment of the Taking It On with Paula Price podcast. Be sure and tune in next time for the continuation of this insightful teaching. To obtain resources and training materials for how to think differently and live powerfully, visit Dr. Price's website at drpaulaaprice.com. Also, follow Dr. Price on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Dr. Paula Price. See you next time.